Mm-hmm. Being a woman anywhere in the world, like you can't really be safe, and it's scary. But I would hate for that to be something that kept me in one place, because I'm a very adventurous kind of person. Like I want to see what's you know how people live in another part of the world where they don't look like me, where they don't speak like me, where they don't eat like me. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Thanks so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Jumoke Abdullahi. I am from originally from Nigeria, but I grew up in London. My business is uh, J on Life. Uh, it's the name of my it's the name of my blog, my travel blog, and um, I also have um, another business called Triple Cripples, which is. Um, a uh, platform uh, specifically for those that are triply marginalized, especially in terms of disability, gender, and uh, race. So talk to us about when you started traveling. Born in Nigeria. Yes. Uh, contracted polio, like, at a super early age. Yeah. And then what happened? Right. So uh, I was born in Nigeria. Um, and I, so with uh, polio, I contracted polio before my first birthday. So it was very strange because on the one hand, for me, um, all I've ever known is disability. All I've ever known is polio. But for my parents, obviously, they'd given you know, they'd given birth to this child. My mother had given birth to this child who had no disabilities. There was, quote unquote, no issues. So for me, there was no sense of loss. But for them, I suppose there might have been. Um, But when I was five years old, um, or at least turning five years old, where I moved from Nigeria and came to London. And I've um, lived in London ever since. I mean, I've lived in some other places for varying amounts of time. But my very first trip, I'll say my very first solo trip was when I was 18. And I went to visit a friend of mine in Germany. And what's really special about that trip, apart from the fact that it was the first time I was flying anywhere by myself, was that um, it just cost me 2p, which was quite nice. How did it just cost you 2 pence? Right, yeah. So this was back in the day when um, low budget airline Ryanair used to have actually actually have penny flights, and it would just cost a penny once. Obviously, um, that you were able to meet specific rules about the kind of card that you had to pay. Um, you had to pay on, and then obviously that you were flexible enough to be able to fly on the dates that would be 1p but yeah return flights two pence i i don't think it gets better than that uh i imagine not i wonder um i wonder do you know when they stopped doing that oh it was it was a while back um yeah it was a while back like this was 
I mean, that trip that I took, that was 13 years ago. Ooh, look at me aging myself. But um, yes, it was um, it was a while ago. Um, so you said your mother's attitude um, towards your disability was like, what disability? Like, let's just carry on. You also describe growing up in London as them kind of having the same attitude towards it. Uh, yeah um well for me so with the kind of upbringing that I had and the kind of parents that I had um so they're very I mean we're all very Nigerian very Yoruba specifically which is our um our ethnic group but it's just um as is true for a lot of black people I would say is that you're brought up to just get on with it right um it's just like whatever cards you are dealt and living in the world that we do live in, you know, with white supremacy and all its fun cousins, shall we say, it's just kind of like you, your race is not inherently going to hold you back, but the way that society has been structured has meant that this will be a negative for you and it will be used against you. So there's always been a kind of attitude of just persevering onwards anyway in the face of adversity. But then obviously with me not only being black, but being a woman and being a disabled woman as well, it was just kind of like, okay, this is this is a, a threefold thing, right? Like this is... Um, like you'll have to deal with it on various other layers of marginalization. But um, while it did put the onus on me as, um, as a person, as an individual, what that meant for my character is like, I, I'm always usually trying to like think outside of the box and just trying to go for things that I want and trying to figure out a way to make it possible for me. Yeah. Was your father's attitude towards your disability the same? Oh yeah, they were they were both the same. It was just kind of like, okay, like go forth and prosper, my child. It's like if there's anything you want to do, like you're gonna have to put in the work, but we do believe that you can do it. And it was quite a I will say quite a loving and quite encouraging um environment. But then with my love of travel being the way that it is and enjoying traveling by myself and doing all these wild adventurous things it's like whoa hold on there slow slow down but um yeah no they've always been supportive do you think like looking back that it was advantageous I ask because there's a line right so it's like okay you this is what you have these are the cards you're dealt we move, but there's also yeah. like these are the ways that you'll be impacted, like the conversations around that versus just like like an acknowledgement that there are disadvantages, that there will be hardships, that there that you will be treated differently. Where though, where there those conversations as well. Oh, yeah, no, there definitely were. So, I mean, any black parent out there has to have that conversation, you know, with their child about the the way that the world will react to them because simply because of the way that they look. But then also they had to factor in the fact that I was going to be a woman in this world and a disabled woman as well on top of um, being black in this world. But I will say... Um, they they didn't shy away from the conversations. I think maybe they didn't go as in-depth, um, perhaps. But, um, like, for example, when I... So I was born in Nigeria, stayed there to Lowell's and then I came to the UK. And then, so I had to, once I got here, I had to go to school. And I, when I came over, I couldn't speak a lick of English. I spoke exactly zero English uh, because I hadn't gone um, to school yet in Nigeria. So when I came um, over, there was obviously some adjusting to try and understand understand this new language, this new environment, and also this way of being around um, other children that weren't also Nigerian. Um, 
I mean, there was actually some Nigerian um, kids in my in my primary school, but then obviously it would never be at the um, at the same percentage rate. So there was an instance where the I think it was only my mother, um, but she had come to the school because they were worried about me just being able to follow what was going on in school and they were suggesting um and i'm sure due to not only my um not only the fact that i couldn't speak the same language um immediately but also my disability about putting me in a specifically quote-unquote disabled friendly school so like over here we have schools that are for children with disabilities and my mother wasn't having a bar of it she was like look teach her and she will learn. And I think it was very important that she, you know, fought that fight for me and she continued to do so um, while I was growing up. Like, this is obviously something where she is at a little bit of a back foot because she didn't grow up speaking English, but you do your job and she will play her part and it will be okay. And it was fine because, I mean, my English is fine now, so... But, um, yeah, the conversations um, were had, but there was never really, at least in my home, there was never really a big, big deal made um, made about it. Do you recall, like, your father telling you anything about you being a Black woman in the world and what that experience would be like? Um, not explicitly, not in um, so many words, but um, I come from a very... Um, traditional um, Nigerian Yoruba um, background. So, I mean, you soak up what you see in the environment, right? So being around my family, being around friends of the family, being around members of the Yoruba community within um, within London, you pick up what the um, expectations might be for you as a black woman but then obviously there's also that caveat of me not just being a black woman but being a disabled black woman so it's just kind of like okay the shall we say quote-unquote duties um of a woman you know taking care of the home cooking cleaning whatever okay what does that actually look like in your and it for you, like for the kind of life that you lead. So um, in that respect, I feel like my disability kind of like shielded a little bit from certain expectations that one might expect um, of a woman, not necessarily um, of just a black woman, but of a Yoruba woman and what that would, um, what that would mean. Do you see those those historical roles changing at all i'm not sure like how in touch you are with the culture outside of your family um well the people that are nigerian that are yoruba that i speak to mainly and am around they grew up in london they grew up in the uk as well so it would never be the same as those that are not within the diaspora, but they're actually in the country on the continent. But there are these still lasting, lingering things where it's like, these are the expectations that we have of you. Like, if you're going to be playing this role within any kind of like, um, any sort of like family, you know? But um, changing, I do, I do see them changing, but then... We always have to remember that those that benefit from the structures um, the way that they were before. So here we are talking about men. They'll be less likely to want it to change because obviously, thanks to patriarchy, it's beneficial for them, right? So, yeah, I think things are changing, but you're more likely to see a bit of resistance from the party that's currently being favored. (laughs) Come on, party. (laughs) Um, you write about how accessible or rather inaccessible a lot of places are um and I like how you put that countries vary based on either the actual access or the attitude of the people yes very much so I like I really like that nuanced uh 
you distinguishing that nuance because it's like, even if things aren't friendly, at least people are willing to help. At least they're open to your being there and not looking at people who are differently abled as a burden or what have you. Yeah. Um, I will say that through my own personal travel experiences, um, the places were, for lack of a better word, are more developed. And let's be very honest, we know why they are more developed, but this is not that kind of program. Um, the places that are more developed, so like in terms of accessibility, um, in terms of certain rights or expectations, um, the attitude of the people is a lot less friendlier than the places where you might go to. It's like, oh, so sorry that we don't have these um, accessible things for you, these ramps, these lifts, these whatever have you. So people are more willing to just say, all right, let me help you. But the issue with um, being disabled is that I cannot now just rely on the kindness of others because sometimes the others themselves might not be there, or sometimes the others are there, but then the kindness is not. Now, we have to be very, like, the way people move through life will ultimately determine how they are received. So while, yes, I am this um, solo Black woman traveling around, but if we break it down into its individual pieces, like... I am disabled and I look disabled as well. And that's a very important distinction because historically blackness has been seen as something quite um, aggressive, quite barbaric and something to be feared, something that's dangerous in both the men and the women. However, blackness within my specific form, within the way that I experience life, you know, I'm on the fairer side of blackness, I am disabled and look physically disabled. And I'm short, I look tiny. So in terms of me being seen as somebody that you would want to avoid, I'm not the one that you're trying to avoid. I'm the one because of the way that I go through life. I'm the way, I'm the one that you will more likely than not go out of your way to help. Now the same cannot be said of everyone that goes through life as a disabled black person, shall we say, because their physicality, if they are on the bigger side, if they are on the darker side, all of these awful, disgusting, racist tropes that have been unfortunately passed down, you know, for like centuries and centuries, like it will factor into people's reactions to you. And I think that's a very important point to make. So I wanted to ask you about a, a blog post you wrote. Yeah. Um, it's from 2015. So you have a page on your website, jonlife.com. It's called All Black Everything. And yeah. the blog post is called Technically Black. So yeah. the way you speak now, it sounds like you've marinated on how you show up in the world. Oh, yeah. But in... The space you were in, I don't know if you wrote that actually in 2015 or not, but uh, that's when it was published. So the space you were in then, it seemed like it was something you were dancing with a little bit, wrestling with a little bit. It seemed like it was difficult for you to identify as Black. You specifically said that your lack of shared Black experiences kept you from being Black because of how you present. You said people would not be moving on the other side of the road to avoid you, that you would not be stopped and searched and that they would not be afraid if you were reaching for something in your pocket. And so it seemed like you, you also said that you didn't feel comfortable speaking up for the people that these things did happen to, because that was not your experience. You also talk about like, not feeling like you were African enough, maybe specifically Yoruban enough. So I, I'm just curious about the headspace you were in when you wrote that and the way that you talk about things now. 
Like, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because yeah, and, so, then, and then okay. and then also like the entire post. There's like four or five pictures of you with like your white friends. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. So for me, I think with how people like the hopefully the the more you know, the better you do. I'd like to say. So for me, growing up and where I grew up in. Um, where I grew up in London, like there was quite um, a big mix. So like my home in and of itself is like miniature Lagos. Like it's, it's very, it's very Yoruba specific, you know, like it's very Nigerian, like all these various things um, that would tell you apart from my skin color that I can relate to everything that's been said about the black experience, um, excuse me, about the Nigerian experience and about the Yoruba experience. But every time that I would be in social gatherings outside of my home, and obviously this was um, when I was younger, and I would try to relate to people. So this was much more apparent, I would say, in, um, in university, I would for sure say that. So there was, it seemed to me, a kind of pushback so it was as though for me back then, the pushback that I was getting um, from those around me that felt that certain things, certain jokes, certain nuances, certain certain parts of being black and being British and just um, generally being um, generally being a black person in the world that I wasn't able to understand, like it it was very confusing to me back then because even going through school. I would be told by, you know, black counterparts um, as well as white counterparts, like the way that I was speaking, I didn't sound black. Now, obviously, this is is like, what does it mean to sound black? Because your your accent, the way you speak, your mannerisms, etc., those will be formed by where you grow up, right? And for me, what I was um, trying to touch upon in that point was the reaction that I was getting from those outside of me and those outside of my home and actually looking and speaking to the fact that I was actually giving these people way too much power about what blackness was defined as. There is no one definition of blackness. But back then, when I didn't know better, when I hadn't experienced as much of the world as, let's say, I am now, and then obviously, the more that you grow, the more that you experience, like I was allowing them to have this much power of defining what blackness meant. What does it mean to sound black? What does it mean to have a black experience? I was the person that would okay let's say if they were Nigerian or Yoruba I would be able to relate more to them than you know people that they might have grown up around that might not have been black as well but there was a sort of pushback as though oh no she doesn't get it she won't be able to relate but it is also to do with the fact that I was um, a disabled black woman and for my parents there was a fear of just kind of like letting me go out into the world and experiencing it for myself like during the earliest stages so like during like early to like middle teenagehood and what have you so there was a sort of bubble that I was in for a very long time and I think you know travel allowed me to break out of that and also define what my blackness was for myself as opposed to giving all of that power and all of that definition to people that didn't really know me if that makes sense oh yeah it absolutely makes sense um i was just curious about the shift well the shift i mean you grow you do better like you learn more right i mean if that yeah like i mean (laughs) no no i will say no everybody does not but i would hate to think that i would be in the same place that i was in 2015 that i am in 2020 so for me like growth is important so the fact that there um is growth is very 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 important very necessary that you should always be shifting i believe so travel helped you to see more of yourself in the world to know not that necessarily see enough. more of myself in the world but just um i think solo travel specifically so not just traveling by itself but like solo travel it's just kind of like 
you define you, right? And there, you know, as it's always said, like, no black person is a monolith, disability is not a monolith, like, there are no monoliths around. And I think I was trying to push away from having this being defined for me by those that felt that I wasn't black enough, because it wasn't actually until I stepped foot out of my home that I realized other people might have thought that I wasn't black enough because my home was very black. It was very African. It was very Yoruba. So it didn't actually make sense to me, but I was like, well, I guess if a person is saying it and B person is saying, maybe there is something to that. And that was allowing me to take actually put on, like give too much weight to what was being said, um, from the outside is like being called a coconut, being called an Oreo or a bounty. It's just kind of like now trying to label or stigmatize, you know, those that aren't what others presume to be blackness is depending on obviously locality. So like blackness in London is different to blackness in LA is different to blackness in Lagos. Yeah. But what I'm, I'm trying to, sorry, unless I'm missing what you're saying. Yeah, no, I'm trying to understand, like, more. You're saying that solo travel gave you more of yourself, and I'm trying to understand how traveling to Brazil would give you more of yourself to say that I am Black enough. A lot of times people figure out that Black is not a monolith because they meet more people like themselves. Well, for me, my trip to Brazil, and I'll say specifically to Salvador, wasn't... Okay. Not not that it's not like specifically, but okay. you were just saying that solo travel gave you more of yourself, and that was just a place I know you've been. So <laughs> it's like, oh, just, okay, yeah. right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of times people figure out that their blackness is not a monolith because they meet other people that are like them. Oh, right, yeah, sure. All right, so you are actually super adventurous. Um, You had alluded to it before. So like you've been paragliding and bungee jumping and skydiving. Um, You said that your parents uh, were not necessarily comfortable with those. Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have you met other travelers that you've been able to do that stuff with? Or have these also been a part of your solo trips? Oh, those have been, most of my trips, to be honest, have been um, solo. Now, the reason I solo travel so much is just because, um, so because of my disability polio, there is something known as um, post-polio syndrome. Now, it is roughly 30 or 40 years after the initial attack. Um, of the polio virus where, excuse me, where it could be a situation where you become more fatigued and you experience more disablement. So currently I mobilize uh, using a leg brace and two crutches and I'm able to figure out how to do all of these uh, various things. So even though stairs are, you know, more tricky for me than somebody that doesn't have... um, a physical disability like I am still able to do it but then if I have a wheelchair and this is something that I have to now grapple with like I can't even if it's oh it's just two stairs like that's two stairs too many and I'd had a conversation with um my doctor at the time I think I was 15 years old and at this point I had been coming to terms with and getting used to um, the fact that I was disabled and getting comfortable with that. And it's like, okay, this is my reality and I'm okay with that and I'll figure life through this. But then hearing that news, it kind of um, knocked me back for six purely because I was just like, oh, so this could actually get worse. Now, the issue I think most people have is presuming that you have all the time in the world like we know that time is not guaranteed and tomorrow is not guaranteed but there's always this uh, thing of oh I'll do that tomorrow I can do that next week I'll do it next year like there's always some other day that you can do things but having this um, hearing this from my doctor at um, quite a young age I was like oh 
wow, all of these things that I thought I would have a lot of time for, I might not necessarily because I got polio before my first birthday. Like at any point now, really, it's like you could get PPS. Now, the issue that I had was that with uh, polio and uh, post-polio syndrome is that there's between 25, which is already bad enough, all the way up to 80% chance that you could get PPS. Now, I was like, I'm not going to wait and see, maybe it might happen, maybe it might not happen. And I was like, okay, I'm going to live my life now and all these very wild, very adventurous things that I want to do, I'm going to do them now. Because I actually love going to museums, but it's like, I can go to museums. Like, if it's a case of, oh, I'll use the lift at the Rijksmuseum or I'll take the... um, I'll take the ramp at the British Museum or whatever have you, but being able to fling yourself out of a plane, I don't really want to try that when I might need to use a wheelchair. So that's kind of like what spurred me on to really go for it and be quite gung-ho about it because I figured now is the time to do it. It can be hard to distinguish. Um, You talk about the triple crit being black a woman and being disabled um but if you were to say how has traveling as yourself and how you present how how has that impacted your travels do you think um I think I mean okay because obviously I'm all three all at once but I'll say that the disability aspect has made me a lot more adventurous just because I feel like there's this giant clock just like floating around me and it's like, okay, get to it, get to it. If it's like, this is something that you want to do, you need to do it now. Um, The blackness and disability aspect of it um, means that, um, like I'd spoken about this once before, like I, it's not enough for me to see the world and see all of these um, amazing sights that, you know, this beautiful earth has to offer, but for the world to see me as well, and it's not for the world to see me specifically Jamoke or JL Knife, but it's just kind of like through travel, you learn so much, either explicitly or implicitly, just by the kind of um, people that you see around you. And that can be a very powerful thing because for a lot of people, depending on which part of the world that you're in, you may be their only black representation, you know, shall we say. Now, while it is unfair, it is a reality that for black people, like whenever you are out in the world, it is unfairly your responsibility to represent the entire black population um, of the earth. And for so long and for so much, it's just kind of like being associated with slavery, right? Like, I mean, you even think um, back to school anytime that there was a school project that had to be done, um, like in, be it in the UK, be it in the US, wherever if there's a discussion going on about slavery, like undoubtedly somebody's face is going to turn around and look at you. And it's just kind of like, bro, what the hell? Like the four black people around the world, it's just kind of like we didn't exist prior to slavery, which is awful, but it is um, a thought that many, many, many people have. And for me, just being able to experience the world and enjoy myself that is powerful representation now that's not why I'm doing it like I'm living for me personally but it will undoubtedly like have an effect and traveling I mean being a woman anywhere I mean being a woman in the home um is scary enough and especially with everything that's going on with the excuse me with the coronavirus um pandemic like the levels at least here in the uk of like um domestic violence um lines being called and like um police being called etc etc it's gone up because being a woman anywhere in the world like you can't really be safe and 
it's scary, but I would hate for that to be something that kept me in one place because I'm a very adventurous kind of person. Like I want to see what's, you know, how people live in another part of the world where they don't look like me, where they don't speak like me, where they don't eat like me, you know? So um, I feel like all of that combined, I'm just kind of like, I want, there's got to be more and I want to see it essentially. You said that for you, travel means a lot of forethought and preparation, and it can also be more expensive. What what do you have to do when you are planning a trip? Uh, right, yeah. So for me, the very first part of um, planning a trip is actually booking the ticket. Now, I get such a buzz from, like, getting that confirmation email through, like, hey, you know, we've confirmed your flight going from X place to X place. Um, but the different things that I have to consider is um, where I'm going to stay. So I have to, I usually, um, I try to get in contact um, with the um, owners or managers, receptionists of the place that I'm going to stay and just like figure out what essentially I'm going to have myself um, in for and trying to get as much information as possible and alerting them as well to the fact that I am disabled. So um, like I might need help with bags, et cetera, et cetera. And um, also looking at the different places that I want to go to in whichever country or whichever city I'm in and trying to figure out the logistics. So like how to get from where I'm going to be staying in the city to where I actually want to be. And then choosing locality as well it's like okay if I'm in this particular spot like I'll be able to hit up three different things that I wanted to see while I was here and those are the kind of extra things that you would have to consider like in terms of accessibility how much it's going to cost because for a lot of disabled people it's like you do have to pay more because it's not like you can just hop on this inaccessible bus so you can just hop on this inaccessible train it's like okay i'm going to have to fork out an extra 20 of whatever the local currency is to take a taxi to take a cab or whatever have you to be able to get to this um specific place of this thing that i purposely traveled here to see yeah when you are exploring a new place how do you like to explore it you mentioned like museums is that standard for you oh yeah i um i'm all about adventure travel but i love museums um just because like you learn so much i mean that's the point of them right um like uh for example when i was in hong kong i went to the one of the museums there and i um learned so much more than i already knew about um the 1999-year lease that the um, British um, had uh, over Hong Kong. Because, like, when you go over there, there are certain aspects and certain names and certain things that are quite um, recognisable for people that live in the UK. I mean, for example, the name Victoria Harbour, as well as the fact that when I was over there, I was able to go to a, I was able to go to a Marks and Spencers, which is like um, a staple over here in the UK. Um, so, yeah, you learn so much about um, where you are, and I think that's really important. And it allows me to kind of like give myself a break from doing all the gung-ho adventures that I like to do because obviously I do, you know, these things do, you know, you do get tired from them, like having all this um, adrenaline rushing through you. Sometimes it's nice to take um, take a step back, relax and look at some pretty pictures, find out some information about the people and like where you are as well. But um, so what I usually do, because I kind of like have a vague idea of what I would like to do where I'm going, but I leave the day-to-day -day planning as it were, like I'm quite a go with the flow kind of person it's like okay what am I feeling on this day like obviously certain things will have to be pre-planned like if you want to go on a little trip like while you're in this particular place but I 
often the actual, okay, this is what I'm going to see. This is what I'm going to do. I wing that part. Yeah. Cause you know, I figured there's always maybe something else that you might find out about. That's quite interesting. Or you meet some people It's like, yeah, sure. You know, we can, we can hang out. And I don't want to be tied down to like a heavily structured trip. And then I feel like I'm missing out on something. You you talk about adventure traveling. So like you've done the paragliding, the bungee jumping and the skydiving. Are these things that you are continually engaging in or? <laughs> like, oh, no, 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 no. I think, that's what I mean. Um, yeah. OK. So for me, um, I, I did those things and I also did... Um, Oh, what's that? Like shark cage diving when I was in um, South Africa and like some other adventurous things. Um, when I was in, where was I? I was in Panama. Yeah, I went um, scuba diving and um, zip lining as well as went up a volcano as well. That was really interesting. Um, I would be open to doing skydiving again. Because that, while scary, it was for sure scary. Like, I really enjoyed myself. But, like, bungee jumping, I don't really see that happening again. Like, at the risk of being uncouth, I felt like my stomach fell through my butt. I, and it wasn't even a bungee jump. Like, on my, because I had the video on my YouTube channel. It was a bungee push. Like, I had to be pushed, you know. But then I was just kind of like, okay, I've done it. Tick cool because for me what's important it's to have the memories of doing these things like you'll more likely than not find me in a nice little restaurant wherever I am because like I love to eat so like my favorite my favorite meal is a meal while I'm on holiday so I'm not usually doing all this adventurous stuff but if there's um something new like yeah sure let's let's give it a try but um yeah, I'm not, this isn't a uh, continuing thing. It's like, oh, let me jump out of a plane all around the world. Like, I've done that. That's, that's okay. <laughs> um, is there anything on your list you still want to do? Um, I'd really love to do, because I love being by the water. I love looking at the water. I love smelling water. Like, um which is really funny because I hate the beach, but um, but more so because of the sand. But you can't have the beach without the sand. Um, I'd like to go parasailing. I think that would be really, really awesome. I want to go on a jet ski. That would be dope. Um, what else? I'd like to, I think, eek! I'd like to go swimming with sharks. That seems like that would be that would be cool. And I'd like to scuba dive some more, actually. Like, I, I really, because I did that when I was in Bocas del Toro in Panama, and I'd love to do a lot more of that. I'm looking forward to your lifestyle uh, yacht show. Oh, you <laughs> and me both. I'm telling you, just let them give me the money. And the camera crew following me around. We can ball out. We can ball out. <laughs> on, nautical life. Yes. <laughs> what has helped you to get through the challenges that you have to face? Um, I think my upbringing, I owe, I owe a ton to that. Um, because with the kind of home that I um, come from, like I adore my parents. Um, it, I don't know, like if for people that have met Nigerian people and it's specifically like Yoruba people, like there's this like inherent pride to it, like pride that, you know, airs on arrogance to be honest. But I think for the average black person, shall we say, I think it's important to be brought up being proud of where you are from because a lot of the world, a lot, lot, lot of the world is going to try and make you ashamed of that or try and make you hide or dilute that or just try to not really acknowledge or engage with parts, um, those parts of yourself. So I think that put me in very good stead and gave me a really, 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 really good foundation um, for the kind of person that I am today. And with everything um, 
that I do. And I mean, if you don't know somebody's Nigerian, don't worry, they'll tell you kind of thing. But um, I think being in the kind of house that I was and them always trying to get me to obviously strive for the best, but saying like, look, fam, like if this isn't for you, if you don't like this, if you don't like being in this situation, being in this job, being um, in this particular whatever have you, then you are more than welcome to like tap out because um, the opposite I feel of that is just trying to make people see things through that are not going to be beneficial to them or might make them uncomfortable or might you know, affect their mental health just because it's like, okay, you started this thing. So you absolutely um, must do it, whatever that thing may be. It's like, if it's not bringing you joy and if it's not something that's making you happy or it's literally like actively making you sad, then like, don't do it. Like we'll really? figure something else out. Yeah, that, no, that like my it. parents. That's what? different because it's like, no, you need to go be a doctor. You need to go be a lawyer. Oh, yeah. No, like I'm not like they tried to put me on the doctor path. Uh, sorry, on the well, doctor lawyer pathway. And I'd actually um, when I was in university, I started off um, my first year. I was doing law and I was just kind of like, oh, OK, fine. Let me go with the flow. Um, but I was just kind of like and I was doing fine. Like there was no issue. But I was like, you know what? This isn't for me. And. I was just kind of like, I'm not doing this for myself and I don't want to essentially waste all of this time and not like use this and not enjoy this. So it's like, why am I even doing this? So what did little LJ do? I just quit it and I switched to media, which I did enjoy. And then I told them after the fact, because you can never tell them before. <laughs> you got to do it after the fact. And, and, like, they, so, and they supported you. Well, I mean, they had to deal, right? And so, yeah. And I think it's important being in that kind of environment because they did still, like, don't get me wrong, they did have the expectations, like, yes, we do want you to do this, we do want you to do that. But it wasn't a case of, like, if you don't do this, like, this will... Um, will disown you. Yeah, yeah, like, that was... Um, that was never it. Like, that was never it. That was never going to be it. Um, so, yeah, and I think that was really important because had, in the back of my mind, had I thought this might be uh, something that would make them disown me, then I likely would be a lawyer now. I'd be a miserable lawyer, but I would be a lawyer. And I think um, it's important for parents, especially, especially Black parents, African parents, like to listen to your children and to actually hear them when they're speaking to you because often like it's like oh it just came out of the blue it's like you weren't actively listening or you heard what they were saying and chose to ignore it anyway and I think um it's vital to ensure that your children especially um the girl child knows that you know what you have autonomy over what you want to do and that puts them at least I will say it put me in good stead for life because people situations like you'll know what is for you and what is not for you not necessarily like immediately because everybody has to learn along the way but you'll be able to know that these were your own choices that you had made you know and that you had the freedom to be able to do so. Would you please share um, your self-care practices? Um, self-care practice. I love eating. Like, I oof, I like to eat. Uh, if I'm eating breakfast, I promise you I'm thinking about lunch. Like, food is my number one. But um, apart from that, I, um, I like to do quite a bit of skincare. Um, I usually, I've got a mask on or I'm thinking about, actually, before we, um, before we started this, I was looking at a new face mask, um, to get, and that for me, it's something that one, I have control over and it's just some time for me to be able to take care of myself and my body and just take that time for myself and, um, 
yeah, just to relax and switch off for a little bit. And yeah, I like um, skincare, you know, a little bit of moisturizer. Like I love moisturizing, you know, I could just be there just like moisturizing my hands and my arms all day long. Like I like being comfortable. Like I'm not going to be like, it's like, oh yeah, you know, in this rough tumble life. And it's like, I know for sure if it came down to an apocalypse now kind of situation where like you have to survive in a wilderness for like three months, like I cannot do that. I know I cannot do that. I have no delusions about the expectations that I have of myself and not even talking about the disability. Like I just, I like being comfortable. So, yeah. So even if you had a tent with all the skincare, all the lotions and hydrators, you would still not be comfortable. In a tent? Like, rewind. I heard the stuff I want, but rewind to the part. Honestly, I was like, no, she couldn't have. She said, that's four letters, right? T-E-N-T? Yeah, do you know what? Because when, where was I? I think it was in secondary school. Yeah. Oh, I hated it. Being sleeping outside on the ground? The ground? No. I'm okay. That's, (laughs) uh, I'm good, love. Enjoy. Um, What helps to keep you grounded? Um, my parents, and I know I keep talking about them a lot, but they're very important to me. Um, they keep me grounded because I tell you something, nobody humbles you like a Nigerian parent, for sure them. <laughs> Do you have any hobbies or interests? Um, well, I've already mentioned eating, so it'd be terrible if I mentioned that again. Um, <laughs> I love... <laughs> Yeah, we got it. Um, TV. I love uh, TV and film. Um, I've always enjoyed the media. And it wasn't until like I went to secondary school and actually started studying that I realized how much you know, I um, enjoy um, finding out about everything that goes on in the background, you know? Um, because people presume it's like, oh yeah, I know this thing and I know this thing to be a fact. It's like, okay, where did this fact come from? And usually or not, it's like there's somebody on the other side that's telling you what to think, that's telling you this is who you should like, this is who you shouldn't like, this is your enemy. And it's like seven or eight dudes at the top just like pulling the strings. But anyway, we don't have time for that. Um, hobbies. I've been I've been trying to learn Spanish for the longest time and I'm still well I say try, trying in the loosest sense let's be very honest but one of these days I will be trilingual somehow um I love hanging out with my friends um and yeah I I like being by the water um even though um again not uh not a fan of the beach but just being able to see water, just hear the waves crashing, just yeah, I like um, I like being surrounded, um, yeah, being surrounded or being near, being by uh, a body of water. Um, to how do I even want to say that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'll just I just wanted to ask you about food, so I was wondering. Like, what are some of your favorite meals, um, either at home or where you've been around the world? Ah, right. Okay. Um, at home, I mean, everybody thinks they're, well, not everybody, most people think that their mother's cooking is the best because that's what you grew up on, right? And that's like the food of love. Um, so I love my mother's cooking, um, especially there's this um, dish called um efori roll which is basically um spinach stew essentially and it is so good uh especially efori roll with um egusin which is kind of like a, a melon seed um i don't know how else to describe it but like you mix it all up together and it's beautiful and i really i like starchy foods like i love yams i like anything that will make me feel full i'm i'm a fan of so like carbohydrates for the win um in terms of cuisines or 
outside of the home, so like outside of the Nigerian foods that I grew up eating, uh, Thai is my number one. I um, I went to Thailand last year and Vietnamese as well because I went to Vietnam at the, on, on the same trip. Um, which, shame on me, I haven't actually put up anything about that, but whatever. Um, but yeah, Thai, Vietnamese, I love Mexican food. Oh, I had this gorgeous, um, uh, what's it, mole con pollo. So mole is basically like um, the sauce that um, incorporates a little bit of um, dark chocolate. And I had it when I was in Austin in Texas, and it was so, so good. So I can only imagine that it's going to get better when I finally, once they let us all out, when I finally go to Mexico. Um, but I just love food, generally. Like, I'll go anywhere and I'll find something to love. Um, I love lobster. Like, yeah. I, I, I love food. I really enjoy eating. Like, I'm at my happiest when I'm full. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to be known as the girl that likes to eat, but that's okay because it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as it's the truth. Um, exactly. <laughs> How do you like to celebrate? Um, I like to celebrate um, with my friends, with loved ones, with my people. Um, I'm an extrovert. Like, I, I gain joy and energy and just positivity from being around people. Um, so I'm usually the one that's like, oh, yes, let's network and do this and do that. But... Um, yeah, I celebrate by, you know, sharing, um, sharing my good news um, with loved ones. And um, I celebrate by celebrating myself. Like, for those that know me, I'm, I don't know, m maybe my mother, perhaps, might be a bit higher. But I'm my number one fan. Like, I am not you know, confused like I know for sure that I have flaws and there's things that um I need to work on, et cetera, et cetera. But I really genuinely love me. Like I'm a hoot. I'd for sure hang out with me. So yeah. <laughs> Come on, hoot. Um, <laughs> do you have any song lyrics or a poem that speaks to you these days? Um not necessarily these days, but one that has um stuck with me like since I heard it and for um, a long time afterwards is by um, Wasan Shire. She's, um, she's a Somali uh, poet, British Somali uh, poet. And it's um, for women who are difficult to love. And there's um, a certain section, like I have it up here now just because I didn't want to mess it up. Um, let's see. And you tried to change, didn't you? Closed your mouth more, tried to be softer, prettier, less volatile, less awake. But even when sleeping, you could feel him traveling away from you in his dreams. Now, for me, that spoke to me just because I'm like, whether you like me or dislike me, like I'm... I'm somebody that's noticed and it's not saying that I go out of my way to be so, but with the kind of upbringing that I have and again with Yoruba people being the way that we are, we're very hard not to notice just by, obviously this is a generalization that are quite Yoruba people, I promise you. Um, but that for me, it really spoke to me because like I'm from a background and society is built up to tell women like the way that we should refine ourselves and mold ourselves and be to ensure that we are again very heteronormative but like to make sure that we are palatable and pleasing to the men that are around us especially in terms of um, romantic relations and um I've actually never been about that life because I'm quite stubborn quite headstrong and there was like it's certain thoughts that you have in your mind and it's just kind of like oh maybe the issue with this particular interaction was because I decided that I absolutely had to voice my opinion because I needed to get my point across because x y and z because I wasn't being the wallflower that I needed to be but then it's just kind of like why should I 
Like there is absolutely no reason why your thoughts, opinions, whatever should be considered of more import of more importance than mine. So that's something that speaks to me. And, and it's very telling, is it not? It's like for women who are difficult to love and it's just kind of like for the right person you would never be difficult to love, right? So it just kind of like, it keeps me thinking about the fact that just kind of like there will always be the these expectations um, put upon us. So whether you're trying to change yourself for this particular person or that particular person, like as long as you stay true to yourself, like you can never be wrong staying true to yourself. And that's, like a poem that I, I really like, that I really enjoy. I like the poem that you just said. You could never be wrong staying true to yourself. Oh, thank you. Send oh, it to the publisher. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> so, never. Yeah, that's and I, that's something yeah. that women all over the world have to deal with, particularly oh, like for sure. brassy, if you will, brassy. Yeah, and, and that's something that's said of us, right, as black women. So it's just kind of like, do you know what? No, fuck that. Like if you oh sorry, I swore. But oh, um I don't know. Fine. Oh, okay. I was like This is this is an adult show. Okay. <laughs> um but it's just kind of like um yeah, why why should I diminish myself for you? Because you would never do that for me you and I would never, never want you to do that for me. So insecure. You know, and for like black women, there's so much like you're too loud, you're too angry, you're too this. But everything that's disliked within us is adored and celebrated and put on a pedestal when it's on somebody else. And do you know what? Now, kill that noise. Be yourself. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. And they don't have to. And we should we should be okay with that. Because, like, I mean, for me, my favorite people in the world are black women. Like, absolutely number one black women, starting with my mother down. And, um... Yeah, like, be you, do you, because Lord knows where all we've got. So you're saying dating has been really easy for you then? <laughs> um, <laughs> dating has been interesting, shall we say? Um, but I, I'm, I never have and I never will compromise myself. So we move on to the next. <laughs> Um, I always like to have my guests tell the people how they most like to be supported. So how can listeners support your work? Um, follow the baby girl. Um, <laughs> well, supported, I think. Um, I mean, obviously, in an age of social media, like if somebody's work, um, if you like it, if it speaks to you, if it's... Um, helped you in whatever way or form like share it if you are able to because i'm very aware that not everybody is on um different social media platforms or whatever or if you're able to like if they do have a page like just send um send a message to them you know like there's like sometimes with content creation be it your website, be it your podcast, your videos, your music, what have you. It feels like you're just like putting bits of yourself really and truly out into the world and you're speaking to nobody. So it's always nice to get that feedback, get that response. Like I hear you and I see you and like I appreciate or I enjoyed what you have created because it is um, it is a part of you. And I think that's really nice. And I think um, if you are able to, or if you're in a position to like sharing, retweeting, it can lead to more opportunities for your favorite creators. Or if you're able to have them on, have them on your program, have them in your syllabus, have them in whatever form it is. Like, I think that's important because yeah, I think that's nice. So specifically for you, if um, one of the ladies wants to connect with you, where do you want them to go? Do you want them to go to your website and or Twitter or Instagram? Like, um, I think um, social media, like, and especially 
especially now it is just kind of like ah oh, there's not much else to do but um yeah hit me up um twitter instagram wherever facebook sometimes i check facebook not not as often as um the other two i will admit but um yeah i'm available just like send um send an email yeah okay so i will put your social links in the show notes cool. thank you so thank very you. much thank you i appreciate you being on the show and sharing your perspective yes thank you it's um it's been fun it's um I, i've enjoyed myself <laughs> but you have yourself a gorgeous day yes you too thank you thank you bye bye Mm-hmm.